The U.S. hit a record number of new cases on Friday. The number of new cases per day is higher now in 45 of the 50 states than when schools shut down in March. Do you have a plan? You know, there's really good examples that have uh, been utilized in the private sector and, in, and elsewhere. But the question is, can it happen safely? Uh, and here's what the CDC guidelines say. If children meet in groups, it can put everyone at risk. The rule should be that kids go back to school this fall. You are compelling schools to reopen regardless of what's happening. But for, the, for the, what the students the and plan what schools should do. So, sure. If there is a flare-up, should schools revert to remote learning? I think the go-to needs to be kids in school, in person, in the classroom. What happens if they feel that they can't? What, what if they can't what? You're asking students to go back. So why do you not have guidance on what a school should do just weeks before you want those schools to reopen? What if the, the school district feels that they can't safely go into the school because there is a flare-up in that district? Remote learning, are you okay with it in that situation? If, if there is a, a short-term flare-up for a few days, that's a different situation than planning for an entire school year in anticipation of something that hasn't happened. As a country, when you compare us to other countries, I don't think you can say we're doing great. I mean, we're just not. The Born to Be Mild Podcast. Hey, hello, and welcome back to another brand new edition of Born to Be Mild for the week of July 12th, 2020. Here with Ron Cabuno, I am Peter Crawford, and we have a smorgasbord of topics today. But first, what is going on, my friend? Not much, buddy. Good to be back with you once again. Um, you know, I let you let in on the secret that I was going down to the hotbed of South Carolina for a visit to the in-laws this last week, mm-hmm. and I did just that. Um, I'm back, and I'm here to tell the tale. Still healthy as a horse, as far as I know, albeit one that is a little out of shape, but a horse nonetheless. Had a great time. I want to thank my hosts, Pat and Liz. They were awesome. Um, they are very like-minded individuals, so it was good to have some great conversation with them. Uh, but these guys had MSNBC on in the background constantly, and that was a bit much even for me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But let's just say they are definitely informed on a certain viewpoint in a constant basis. (laughs) Um, I got to go golfing while I was down there. Excellent. Yeah, and that was actually the only second time I got to go all year. Um, the other time was with my other father-in-law, so it looks like that's the only way I actually get to go out, <laughs> is by invitation only of the uh, proxy parents. Yeah, tough times. Uh, that's all right, you know, it's all right, because then I show up, I roll out of the car, and if I shoot anything under a forty-five, it is a miracle. Um, and did and, you? Uh, well, no, it was right around there, it was a little <laughs> north of that, but, um... My father-in-law, he did not, he didn't play that well, and um, 
he assured me that he is a little bit better than that, and I believe him because I saw glimpses of real prominence. But um, sure, it, it wasn't there that day. But that's all right. It was hot and muggy, and we had a great time. Uh, and then this morning, I took the baby out for an exquisite run through the gem of Youngstown, Mill Creek Park. You you know you would think that with all the social distancing going on, I would have been able to up my exercise game a little bit in in this time, but it's been far from the case. The only thing I've been able to up is my caloric intake. And speaking of, uh, me and the wife are actually seriously thinking about trying to open up a Handles ice cream franchise, so that is going to do wonder for my waistline. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, and one last thing. Um, Vivian, my little angel baby, said on video both Yaya and Papu this morning, so we have that recorded, and we sent that down to my folks down in Florida, and they were ecstatic. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we have a couple more Zoom calls that we have to take care of this evening with the other two sets of parents, and I think that covers basically everyone for the next seven days at least. Uh, Oh, yeah, one other thing. So I had my first bit of alcohol uh, in about two weeks just last night, and that shit is strong, dude. I didn't even know what I was messing with all this time. What did you have? Well, you know, I broke into my big old stash of Buffalo Trace and just had the normal. Um, And it was really, really spicy and good, and one was plenty. (laughs) (laughs) You were plenty warm after you were done. Yeah, yeah, it was bedtime. Um, But yeah, I saw that you were out a little late last night. How did that go? Um, and so did you enjoy yourself and also, you know, what else has been up? Well, y- yes. First of all, I was, uh, we have a mutual couple, uh, you know, George and his wife that we are both comfortable with seeing and they're comfortable with seeing us because we're both very much within the protocols at all times. So yeah, we, we, uh, spent some time with them, had some drinks, did a little barbecue, um, hung out, played some kid games with his, uh, his oldest son who is three now. So, oh, very good age for doing the games and yes. activities. Not not so good with the attention span all the time, but uh, <laughs> it was fun. We had a good time, and uh, the best part about it was uh, George, who leans a little bit more right than I do. His, his family uh, in general is a little conservative. Um, we had a, a wonderfully civil conversation uh, discussing all the things that have been going on, um, regarding the coronavirus and then especially with uh, the political situation. And we kind of found out that a lot of the the wedge issues such as gay marriage and gun control and abortion, we mostly kind of rest in the same area. Uh, the, the main difference between us is that he kind of believes that Trump has done some great things and sees Biden as a complete disaster. Whereas I see Trump as an unequivocal disaster and I'm still uncertain about what Biden is going to be. Hopefully we can get into that today. But other than that, we had a relatively slow week here. I managed to hurt my back uh, working out. Signs of getting old, man. Sometimes you just hurt your lower back and you didn't even really do anything. <laughs> I was just working out. I'm just doing a regular workout, and I got lazy on uh, the, the my final set, and that, that laziness cost me a little tweak. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I kind of compressed the bottom of my spinal cord, so that's been a little painful the last couple days. But other than that, the week was great. And like I said, the best part, having some actual discourse with someone that I can walk away and feel like it was civil and constructive. That's always nice because it, you realize that you do both occupy the same effing planet. 
Um, and it's very reassuring to get that in as much as possible because then you can see the conversation actually being furthered in real time with somebody who might then go on and espouse those mutual viewpoints to other people that he might be like he or she might be like minded of. Right. Once you uh, step outside of the realm of social media, and particularly if you're having an exchange with someone uh, with whom you share mutual respect, and whereas George and I have 20 years of friendship under our belt, it's easy for us to, to have a conversation, respect one another's opinions, and even though we may not be ideologically aligned on every issue, we're still able to further the conversation and understand each other's uh, points of view. And if only, if only the rest of the country were not so obsessed with screaming incessantly, anonymously, anonymously, can I say that? Anonymously. Monon- it's mononymously. Mononymously? <laughs> Let's go ahead and make up a different word. Uh-huh. Uh, say anonymously online and reap no repercussions and just walk away angry and yeah. have nobody change their points of view whatsoever and just be pissed off. And you're, you're not gonna, you're not changing hearts and minds on Facebook or Twitter. That's for sure. It's just the echo chamber, you know. Yeah, full there's bore. no, there's no point of screaming at people on Reddit or whatever. I mean, it's just. But when you do something like sit down with your buddy and have a have a talk like that, it sort of warms your heart and fills you with hope for the future. Yeah, that's just it. And having somebody that you're a longtime friend with gives you that opportunity to bring it to 11 real quick and then dial it back down. Or if you leave it at 11 for the night, you know you're going to talk to him again. That's the difference between a perfect stranger and somebody that you have a history with. Yeah, exactly. And it's impossible, obviously, to have the the same rapport that I'm going to have with somebody like George with every single person on the planet. But in the same vein... It does prove that somebody can have a certain opinion about healthcare and somebody can have an opposing opinion about healthcare and you can talk for 20 minutes about it and you can reach a mutual agreement. And not only that, then you what you've gleaned from that understanding conversation um, with a friendly audience, you can then take into the rest of the world and um, maybe find the inroads with the perfect strangers. Correct. And if nothing... It's an exercise in trying to interact with these perfect strangers. So Totally. Oh, and by the way, I totally feel you on the working out thing, right? So we got the um, garage all cleaned up when we got home from the road. And obviously the weight bench finally got unearthed. And I, I come from a history of actually pulling my back out or tweaking it a little bit, wiping my ass one time about four years ago. So (laughs) I know exactly what overcompensation laterally can do for you. But um, yeah, I got a little neck thing and uh, I slept with the heating pad for a half hour this morning just to try to get rid of it, man. It's just like, holy crap, where did that come from? And the answer is unuse and destabilization of of homeostasis. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, you know, late 30s. So there's always that to factor in. Crumbling, so, Jesus Christ! Uh, just falling apart. It's like that that old Louis C.K. bit where he's talking about if you're 22, they will rebuild you a new shoulder. <laughs> if you no, and 40, then he's like, "Yeah, now you're 40," and the doctor says, "Yeah, you just got a shitty ankle now." <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what's wrong with it? No, it's just shitty. <laughs> By the way, not to take any of the shine away from us, but he has a new podcast out. 
Oh, really? Um, yeah, it came to me because I'm a subscriber to his newsletter or whatever. Uh-huh. And um, it's a 10-parter. You pay five bucks and you get all of it. And he's limiting the releases. So he did the first two and then he just released the third one a week later. And it's going to come out once a week for the next, I don't know, eight weeks now. Oh, nice. Haven't listened to it yet, but I can assure you that if he's talking, it's got to be quality and a little bit controversial. Yeah, and, and probably funny. So Fuck yeah, a man's a genius. He is. So Louis C.K., if you're out there, you're welcome for the little prop, and I expect to mention on your show. That's right. I mean, obviously, we're the number one plug he's going to get across the nation this week. No question. <laughs> <laughs> so, on our fine program this week... Uh, we will be talking about the coronavirus. Oh my, uh, I know what you guys that? have heard of it at home. Uh, we're going to bring it to light to you right through your ears. Um, we're also going to talk about serious reckoning in the professional sports realm, uh, having to do with the feasibility of their seasons at all. Um, and then, of course, we will talk about our least favorite orange person in the world, Donald T. Rump. Uh, we're going to luckily talk about a lot of the news that surrounds him and not as much that was coming from his flapping gums this week, which tickles me to no end, especially because a lot of it is him being owned. But we will get into that uh, in a little bit. I definitely want to start out with the COVID news. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You had something on the Reason Roundtable. Well, yeah. I mean, because you always got to check in to see what the snark report has to say on the, the news of the day. And so old Nick Gillespie was on there, and he wanted to let you know that he's not listening to experts anymore, but he will still defer to expertise, which is, you know, wordplay that I kind of understand, but I also see him just making shit up as he goes along. And he's talking about how most experts are now politicized and use fallacious, and, and, and basically he uses a fallacious straw man argument to make his point, and he's saying that this person, this uh, imaginary scientist or whatever, said, oh, it's just fine for you to go out and protest for George Floyd, and it won't be a super spreader event, but then they're going to condemn you for going out if you want to protest uh, the shutdown on the Michigan State Capitol steps. And basically, he's failing to leave out that, as we saw, most people in Black Lives Matter protests were wearing masks, and the people who had their AKs demanding haircuts couldn't be bothered to because that's exactly what they were protesting against so this false equivalency it just spreads and everyone wants to make their little snarky comment while only telling the half truths and i mean is that what we're here to do that's not informing people that's just trying to be a little funny man so it really got my got my gird up yeah it's nothing if not glib um i there the false equivalency of of the the BLM versus the protests outside of the Capitol building with the uh, the people who wanted to open back up, um, which uh, we are now seeing may not have been the best idea, but we'll get into that. Uh, it it we can say that yes, there were some there were some more violent people and there was some looting going on, especially at the beginning of uh, these uh, BLM protests after the uh, in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy, but. That doesn't mean that the anger and the potential for violence wasn't there with these armed people outside, maskless, demanding to reopen for, you know, the better half of a week and a half, um, the better part of a week and a half, I should say. And 
it, it wasn't so much just the way that they protested, but it was the death threats, the the sort of things that were going on. Amy Acton's entire family was being houses surrounded on a you daily know, basis by these yahoos. That's not exactly looting, no, but if that's not the threat of violence and intimidation and unlawful on some level, then I don't know what is. So there is a proper way to protest, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not it either. Right, but what the point that they were trying to make was that it was about responsibility, and so what what is less responsible than not wearing the mask, than putting all science and common sense aside for your own personal reasons. That is, it's terrible. The mass conversation has gotten to be so politicized that it's, it's, it's become a meme within itself. And you're seeing all of these stories now online of these, it's, they're actually, I don't want to laugh at them, and, but I also can't fully feel a lot of empathy for these people either. Oh, you're talking about like the people who went to the COVID party and then died? Yes. People who go to a COVID party, the guy that went to a COVID party and then died and on his deathbed, he's saying, maybe I made a mistake. Right. Uh, and I and thought it was a, a hoax. <laughs> there was another dude who was like, you see his timeline on, I think, Facebook or something. And he's like, that's, wow, it's the exact two I was thinking about. Go ahead. Right. Like, that's really powerful stuff. And I know that you can bring up that anecdotal evidence to hopefully scare people into doing the right thing. And that's exactly what the right will say is that it's just scare tactics. But these are real world examples of how doing the wrong thing will get you or other people deaded. <laughs> Correct. It's not supposed to be a scare tactic. It's supposed to be a cautionary tale. It's supposed to be an example of what can happen if you don't want to play by the rules. And not only that, but we have seen that there were studies done that there were not significant spikes that were derived from the protests. But we did see this week that Tulsa had a giant upsurge two weeks or so after the Trump rally where nobody wore a mask and everyone was breathing down their own nasty, hairy necks. What a coincidence. Exactly. So, you know, they're not going to wear a mask, but when Trump went to Walter Reed this week, he finally wore one again. You know, outside of the back room of the uh, Ford plant in Michigan, like last month, he wore one in public and uh, said during the interview afterward or something, he's like, well, you know, if I'm going to be with people who are on the front lines, I should probably do that. And I'm in a closed space. I'm talking real close. I'm like, where is this coming from? You are three months late to your own party. Why can't you just catch this thing and suffer irreparable damage? (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah, he showed up. He had that black mask on. And I I did a double take. And I I don't understand how you can politicize this thing. And it's really what he does. Trump's entire platform has been built on dividing and demonizing half the country. And now suddenly it's liberals who wear masks. And now all of a sudden you're going to throw a mask on the, the level of flip flop right there is shooting through the roof. And it's the talk of the John Bolton book, which is essentially anything that he does, he did and does during his presidency is only seen through the prism of reelection and popularity. It has nothing to do with national interest. No, it never has. And that's the truth of a, an election year for almost any uh, first term incumbent. But yeah, but I, how about the last three years? We know what he was the last three years. We talk about it pretty much weekly. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's never about the national interest. He has been on a constant re-election campaign since the day he took office. Well, he certainly never stopped quote-unquote campaigning. 
So. That's right, and he was he was holding rallies as soon as he got in, mostly because Melania wasn't there to put him to bed at night. But uh, you know, yeah, he had to fill his day <laughs> one way or another. She was still in New York at that time, so he was lonely. Doing a little paperwork, as I recall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so the resurgence uh, is pretty much encapsulated by Florida's numbers alone that were released this morning. Uh, they broke their old record on July 4th of over 11,000 infections with 15,300 new cases. On a single day. On a single day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. So uh, testing is at about 60, uh, 650,000 tests done daily, but I believe it's Harvard um, Medical now suggests that they up it to 1.2 million tests done a day just to be able to keep track of the spread. Yeah, we're only doing about half of what we should be doing right now. And Sounds the, about right. The, the testing has dipped. So uh, I don't know if that's because uh, Trump's brilliant plan to test less people so that fewer cases are actually emerging. But um, th- this this drop in testing is absolutely indicative of uh, where the country is headed right now with its numbers. Oh, doomsday. I mean, we're sitting here at 40 hospitals nationwide, no ICU beds available, and over 7,000 people currently hospitalized in the nation with the virus. So Unbelievable. how many people are suffering at home? How many people have already met their demise? We, we, we definitely know that number. It's just unbelievable. And Florida is actually having a little bit of an issue with their numbers because, as you know, they got rid of their um, GIS person who was keeping track of all this, like back in May when she decided not to fudge the numbers and the dashboard to make it look better than it was. So she says that she has no faith in the numbers and the testing at that state right now anyways, even with all those numbers of cases reported. So it's yeah. pro- it could be even worse. Yeah, we've had, we've had very little faith in the numbers uh, globally, probably since day one. But now we're really looking at uh, the United States and how, how much faith do we have in our own numbers here? I don't know. But I know that people are still getting sick, and I know that when we look at the daily cases that we do know about here in the United States, the, the difference between what we are having daily versus what countries like Germany, Norway, Denmark, whatever, admittedly, smaller countries, but the difference is so unbelievably exponential. Sure, smaller, more responsible, more responsible less craven countries, uh, less... Less defiant. Seemingly, yes, exactly, exactly. These are people who are, are willing to cooperate uh, by their nature. Uh, the Just look the at their tax rate. Citizens of America. <laughs> They're yeah. looking to cooperate and help one another. They're willing to help one another. People in America, I saw a great meme. Um, it was uh, it basically the, the top of the, the meme just said, if Americans were alive during the uh, bubonic plague, uh, back during the 14th century. They said, <laughs> doctors say, stay away from uh, rats right now. And then it just shows uh, three pictures. It says, uh, the American people. And it's just a, a few pictures of this old lady licking a rat. <laughs> it's like the rat is on her tongue. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. so disgusting. It's terrible. But it's the truth. Like, if you tell us not to do something, oh my God, that is literally what we're going to do. It's the first thing. It's like a bunch of children. Yeah. You could be wearing a mask every day of your life. The second that this COVID thing starts and we're told to wear a mask, dude comes outside, no mask. 
The no-no list is essentially synonymous with the wish list in this country. Yeah, we're a bunch of 15-year-olds. It's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so Fauci hasn't met with Trump in over a month, which shows how much he cares about the truth. Um, because this guy, you know, for all his mistakes, which Trump said, all right, so Trump says uh, he's a nice guy, but he's made many mistakes. Oh, um, so true. So we know at least half of that is true about Trump himself, and yet he is still allowed to do his job to whatever ability he, he, he does it. Um, but the hypocrisy, once again, through the roof. Um, Betsy, Betsy was on CNN this morning and she got her, uh, school lunch handed to her. <laughs> like, so they're saying, uh, what's your plan? And she's like, well, you know, if you could just take some cues from the private sector, which obviously is completely decentralized, haphazard, and whatever they feel like doing. Um, then that should be able to be a good model for schools to reopen. And uh, she's like, well, wait a second. You're saying that you don't want a national reopen plan because you don't want to have some kind of umbrella policy for the nation, and yet you're giving out the umbrella policy that everyone must reopen. So which way do you want to have it? Yeah, this woman has been kind of under the microscope since day one, especially by the left. The woman is an idiot, and the idea that she's in charge of our education is almost as ludicrous as uh, Trump himself being in charge of the country. But <laughs> I don't know how, during all of these these firings and these people leaving the administration and leaving the cabinet, of all of them, by far and away, she is one of the worst in charge of this department, and she has managed to stick around this entire term. All right, so I think the reason might be, at least in part, is because she comes from such a rich family that she doesn't need to grift herself. So she's not getting caught with her hand in the cookie jar. She's just trying to break the cookie jar and let all the greedy children get to it first. Um, it, it's crazy because you have... Um, Trump saying that he's going to take away... Well, all right, first of all, there's a meme going on around uh, online that is basically showing Betsy DeVos, you know, on her Zoom call in front of her bookshelf like everyone does, but there's no effing books on the shelf. And, and there could be shelf. a more appropriate uh, oh my picture Vi and encapsulation yeah. of this woman and her approach to learning than that. Hilarious. So maybe there was a cookie jar or just a piggy bag behind her that I didn't see because that's all she really cares about and thinks people should be able to lean on is their inheritance. Um, so yeah, Trump wants to say that you have to open up full stop and if you don't, we're going to cut your funding. And Youngstown City Schools right here where I live said that they're going to go online for fall because it's just safer or at least they're strongly looking towards making that happen. And I... I it's tough because I know how tough it is on parents because parents aren't being compensated for staying at home. So they have to make the tough choice of education or childcare in a lot of cases, or they have to endanger either themselves or their children by putting them in places they might not want to have them. Yeah, it's quite a conundrum. And I don't know that there's really a correct answer right now. Uh, we're trying to figure out a plan. Um, I think online is probably the way to go, but it's not like with college where taking online classes is uh, something that has already been widely done. And these, these, these people are adults. They know how to handle their curriculum on their own. 
These right. are kids, and these are things that aren't that easy to, to teach unless you have a hands-on approach. And they're not that easy to teach unless, unless you're experienced with the coursework. Like, if you want to try and teach advanced grammar or math or science to a child as a parent who might have taken the course 20 or 30 years ago, you're going to be up shit's creek real soon. And that is not going to be for the benefit of your kid. So they're not going to be getting that quality education. No. But on the same time, on the other side of the of the coin, you have really strict rules for how they could open up and go back to school. And they're talking about, all right, there's not going to be any class changes or going to the cafeteria for lunch or gym. And so you're asking 13-year-old, 12-year-old kids to stay in one room and not go near their friends for, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. That's completely bonkers. It's also about 50% of what you're taking away from going to school during the day. Yeah, exactly. That socialization and that understanding of, yeah. uh, I, I get it. Like, so you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And you have the leader of the education department just asleep at the wheel once again. Yeah, no surprise with her. Um, there are no, like I said, there are no real solutions right now. You, you've got, if you have a, a, a household where mom and dad are both working, you're just not going to end up getting a good education from them no matter what. And on top of that, like I said, the online thing. So I get it that he may want to put people back in school, but it's not safe. Uh, the My buddy George's wife, who we were with last night, is uh, she's a kindergarten teacher, and she is extremely scared to go back to school because she's got asthma. And she's wondering if something is going to happen to where, you know, she's going to walk around in her mask. But how easy is it going to be to teach kindergartners with a mask on? How, are you going to get t uh, kindergarten kids to wear a mask? How is all of this going to work? And let's say that the infection rate of kids is very low and that the asymptomatic spread of children is very low as well. That's fine. But they were talking about, uh, I think it was Betsy DeVos, who said that it's going to be 0.02% of children will have a mortality rate when they catch this. And if everyone in... Right. Catches it, then you're looking at uh, 4,000 dead kids just because you sent them back to school. And yeah. that's apparently okay. And those kids are expendable. And that's not even talking about, about like you parents. said, the teachers, the parents, the janitors, and the administration at the school who are not children last time I checked. And they are yet being forced to go into that environment, that unsafe environment that has no plans and has inadequate testing. You're seeing the tests come back longer and longer nowadays like I went and I did my project baseline like two months ago or whatever and I got the test in like 36 hours they're talking about like five seven or more days to get your test back right now if you can even get in to get one what yeah. the hell how all do you expect the, that to work all of the progress that we made on testing and it feels like we're in some kind of a, a twilight zone where we, we morphed back to March um, yeah <clears throat> I yeah, there's the worst part about all of this is that a school is no different than a church. It's one of these places where you're going to be sitting right next to someone. You're going to be there for hours and hours, actually talking, congregating. It's it's that's why you can't go to church. You're you're there for hours. You're in close quarters, and most of all, you're in a place that's poorly ventilated. Most of these schools, pretty much all of these churches, are very poorly ventilated. And we're now learning that the coronavirus is airborne. 
it can be out in the air circulating if you're not in a place that's got great ventilation. So it's hanging out. You don't have to spit directly on someone. It could just be floating in the air, and you could breathe it in And when you walk by five minutes later. That's right. So aerosolized is a very big problem, and you can open up the windows to these schools, but anything north of the Mason-Dixon, that's going to be a no-no come October. Oh, so, God. all right, you're going to get a month of school in before you have to close everything up again? Yeah, I, it's it's going to end up being the same level of disaster as what we're seeing right now uh, publicly. There's just no way that to handle the, the the kids inside of a closed classroom like this. And what you got uh, DeSantis out there uh, saying, "Well, you know, if we can <laughs> if we can go to Home Depot and Walmart, they can be open. We can obviously go to school. Like you know, last I checked, I didn't go to Home Depot five days a week for eight hours a day." <laughs> When I start doing that, we can make that comparison. Not only that, I leave my kid the hell home when I go to those places. Right. (laughs) This guy, something else, man, something else. When he had his little son out there building the wall in his campaign video, you knew that state was in for a world of hurt whenever his hand was on the trigger. Oh, he's just too good of friends with Trump for me to trust him. So, Um, so a little more locally... We have Ohio that ended up rolling out a tiered alert system for coronavirus per county. And, um, you know, I think Pennsylvania had done that from the outset and we were a little late to the game. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's definitely a good approach because that way you can see the localized effects. Right. Um, We are on the upswing. I definitely would attribute a lot of that to the weak need approach by Mr. DeWine and uh, not mandating the masks earlier, and he still hasn't. It's still a recommendation, except when things go above the threshold. So it's like, you know, red, yellow, green, whatever, and then purple if you're if everyone's dead. Um, Is that how and, it works? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. They, I don't even know if people go in and count from the air, like with a drone or something, but yeah, it's it has to be ugly. I but, know we're, um, we're a red-level threat here in Franklin County. Down in Franklin you are, and up yeah. uh, just north of me in Trumbull County they are, and same thing with like Summit and Cuyahoga, very big populous centers, obviously have higher haze, case counts. Um, but they have an actual penalty, second-degree misdemeanor, that is on the books now. Um, up to 90 days in jail and a fine not more than $750 if you are caught without your mask. And there's hotlines that you can call. Uh, but then, I think in the same breath or on the same day, you had the sheriff of Butler County down there, I think, by uh, Cincinnati, saying that he is not the mask police and don't oh, call yeah. me about this kind of stuff. <laughs> so uh, kind of a mixed message coming from the leadership in the state. Yeah, you've got people in positions of power right now who are not totally on board with uh, some of the ideas that are being handed down to them, and they've decided they're going to enforce them based on their own ideologies. Uh, Totally. So we'll see how that goes, but I think that it's at least an incremental step towards responsible approaches, and um, it's going to have to go hand-in-hand with a lot of other things to get a handle on the virus, and... um, Hopefully, hopefully, like I said, the testing goes up and we can we can start understanding it. Um, I know that uh, the pregnancy test version that we had talked about months ago is getting right. closer to actually coming to fruition. So um, it's this place up in Northern California 
They partnered with GlaxoSmithKline to be able to roll it out in magnitude. Um, but it's based on CRISPR technology, which is super cool. So CRISPR, the gene editing program technology software, whatever the hell it is, I'm not that smart, but that is being utilized in these little pregnancy tests. And obviously it's not altering any genes. It's just finding the sequences, raising the red flag, and letting you know that it's in there. So it's about as early of a detection method as is available, which is totally cool. However, they said they're not going to even be able to roll it out till probably the end of the year. Yes, another six months is a little too long. I feel like we would like to have that by fall if it were up to me. But <laughs> Right. If it was up to anybody, we'd have it yesterday. Um but, you know, it is cool that things are moving in the right direction. And, you know, it will we'll probably come a day where you could buy the 50-pack of these and uh, you test yourself every other day and you really stay on top of it. And everyone can be a lot safer about it. Because if you're waiting seven days to get your test back, if you were being proactive about getting a test because you were near somebody who had a positive infection... How many people have you been around in the meantime? Yeah, that was one of the uh, the big conversations we had last night. Apparently, um, uh, George's family, which is, uh, like I said, heavily conservative. They're also Greek. And oh, they, I know the conservative Greeks. I'll tell you what. Yeah, they had a, a, a big wedding uh, last weekend. A Oi. Huge, huge wedding. And Opa. Every Greek wedding seems to have 300 people, and this yes. one was no different. Mine did. Well... <laughs> As it turns out, but not in a pandemic, one of the groomsmen tested positive for the coronavirus two days later. Oh, man. So, so terrible. I I don't wish that upon anybody. I mean, even if they're being willfully ignorant outside of the president, I don't wish it on anybody. Yeah, I I really don't wish it on anybody, period. Um, But, you know, the fact and they it was a true Greek wedding. Uh, The the woman, the, the matriarch. (laughs) <laughs> who uh, basically was in charge of everything, said no masks. No. And so not a person in there was wearing a mask, and they were doing all of the kissing and the Greek dancing, and everything was as it always is. Hands on shoulders and big big breaths in each other's faces. Yep, all over the place in a nice closed-off area full of 300 exposed people. Couldn't even have the decency to have it outside. Yeah, it's awful. So I don't know. I, if I was at that wedding, I can tell you 100% I would be getting tested. So, Would we'll you s- have worn the mask even if the mandate was asked of you not to? Oh, let's be serious. I wouldn't have went to the damn wedding. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. That's the right answer. <laughs> um, yeah, so why don't you keep us updated in the next fortnight as to how that plays out? Yeah, I'm pretty curious myself because George's older brother was there, and he was also in the groomsmen's party. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll see Yikes. about that. Um, worldwide, Corona not the only thing happening. China's still uh, dealing out some uh, bombshells for us. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, speaking of uh, us living through the bubonic plague, we are living through the bubonic plague. Um, apparently, a case popped up in China. A lot of people made much ado about nothing. Uh, they went crazy about it. And you know what? It's not that big of a deal, everyone. The well, luckily, plague. I found out about that. It, like, just seeing all the scare tactics or whatever had me research it a little bit. And a couple yeah. of Googles later, you find out. It's common. Guess what? Yeah, it actually is common. And it's treated very easily with very antibiotics. Easily. See, the difference between now and the 1300s 
is that we have soap, penicillin, <laughs> antiseptics. It's and a the whole internet. Ball game. <laughs> <laughs> you can spread the information, good or bad, to anybody. Right. The the plague, not such a big deal once they discovered soap. So, um, no big deal. We're not going to have another breakout of the plague. So, I would relax on that. Everyone kind of going into a panic and being like, geez, China, anything else? <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, I will take people who love to demonize Xi Jinping for a thousand, Alex. And the answer <laughs> is Trump. <laughs> so, that in Trump him. news this week, um, we where do you want to start? Well, we should probably start with the thing that he was uh, just most recently demonized with the most. Okay, and that would be uh, Roger Stone, right? Correct. Okay, so this guy was commuted of his sentence of, I believe, three and a half years, and it was a sentencing and a conviction that even William Barr was quoted as saying was righteous. And this was seven counts of felony obstruction of justice and witness tampering and like um, like threatening and stuff. So like this was all based on him back dealing with the Russians about leaked information. Like it had nothing to do with Ukraine or any of the stuff that was the crux of the impeachment. These were real offenses and he got convicted by a jury. Right. And yet he's going to skate and he's walking home and and Trump says, "Guess what? Uh I love you, buddy. Thanks for everything you do. This, this is my friend. This one's on me." <laughs> It's ridiculous. Even Romney came out to call it, quote-unquote, historic corruption. It's unbelievable when you've got people in your own party. You've got people on both sides of the news. Fox News, MSNBC, of course, CNN, it doesn't matter. Everyone is looking at this. This is like, I I don't even know what this is. Is this corruption? Is that what we want to call it? Um, You could, but you can't call it unprecedented. And that's another thing that I had to learn this week was that this type of commutation or pardoning has happened. I mean, at the same level of egregiousness, many times over the history, well, not many, but a handful of real humdingers over the history of the country going all the way back to Thomas Jefferson. So abuse of power is known to occupy the White House uh, before. Yeah, this is one of those things where I look at it as it feels like a Trump move. It feels scummy, but it's definitely not something that uh, other presidents have been completely innocent of, even during our lifetimes. So Right, right. Um, really important were the Supreme Court decisions that came down. Um, I don't know if you could say for or against Trump and his uh, for his betterment, but it was... One was that the grand jury is able to see his taxes and um, we're not going to get to see him as the public. But they said that, listen, it's not undue burden for you to have to take part in this uh, case. And uh, just because you're president does not mean that you're exempt from being charged with things. Um, But you are exempt from uh, going to jail from them and the public won't find out unless you're no longer president anymore. So we'll have to wait on that, but it totally lit his fire, and he had a tweet storm going about how there was a political witch hunt once again, and everyone before him had had deference from the Supreme Court, but not him. And it's like, no, because this was 
it was a seven to two decision, but everyone is saying that all all that Alito and Thomas, who were the only dissenting votes, were saying was that they just wanted to make sure that down the road this didn't get abused. But in this case, it was completely righteous to come down on on the side of the rest of the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the other part of it was um, the the it was uh, Congress basically asking if they the if they were able to get their hands on his tax returns because they wanted to look at all the wrongdoing and then the court came the down was, basically no. on the other side and said listen this is just too much of a blanket accusation we're going to send it down to the lower courts so that once again that means nothing will come of it till after the election it's not completely wiped off the books but um it was just too broad of a dragnet they were trying to cast here. And if you want to get him on something, it's going to have to be more pinpoint and more pertinent to abuse of uh, power while in office and not something that he did prior to being in office. Right. I um I don't know where I stand on this. I would have liked uh, Congress to get their hands on him, too. But it's good that uh, New York uh, is going to have a look at Trump's taxes. I really wish I could understand why this is being why if you look at trump protecting his taxes so fervently how you can look at that and say well i'm sure it's fine nobody right. is that and, protective about anything who's got nothing to hide and furthermore if you want to talk about how well it's not anything that he did in office well you could say that it will compromise his position while in office because of what he did prior to getting elected yeah i think what you do before you're in office has a lot to do with with who you are now it can't just be like, well, you know, he killed a guy, but that was like back in the eighties. I mean, right. these things are still important. It still matters if if he but was. But you know uh, what? Even if he killed a guy, fraud, that wouldn't be as much of a compromised position as someone and a foreign entity or a country having total leverage over you of something that you don't want to have get out. If you killed somebody, maybe at least you went to jail, did your time, and now you're trying to reconcile. Yeah, this is more of a, I guess if you're talking on a national level, uh, the way that it would impact our country, yeah, because it compromises us. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was cool. Uh, it was good to at least get to understand the inner workings and to see that no one is above the law, even if we don't get all the goodies that we want right away. At least um, the Supreme Court is kind of holding up their end of the bargain about being impartial and taking these things uh, one case at a time. Uh, I don't like a lot of the ones that they've done recently, or I mean, over the course of his presidency, but recently, you know, especially with John Roberts, you're seeing integrity come to the top. Roberts was in the hospital, wasn't he? Didn't he slip and fall or something? I Was that like a month or so ago or something like that? I think this was last week. Was it? Yeah. Unless okay. he slipped and fell twice, which is possible. The guy's old. So <laughs> he's one of the younger ones, but yeah, he is, um, yeah. But you're on the Supreme Court. You're old, so <laughs> you're very old. Yes, you've been doing this shit a long time. Um, yeah, yeah I, so. I agree. I've been impressed with Roberts and really the the court as as a whole because there have been now you've seen some party line stuff, but like there's actually been some compromise and some blind justice being served. How about this for a little factoid? There was a ten year period where Clarence Thomas didn't open his mouth during questionings at the Supreme Court. 
Really? 10 years? Yeah, 10 years. Because there was this uh, recent case where he was asking a lot of questions and people were completely dumbfounded. And they talk about how he has this propensity to lean back in his chair while people are giving arguments and stare at the ceiling. And that any one time that he like rocks forward or gets anywhere near the mic, everyone's like on bated breath and waiting for him to say something. <laughs> and he never does. And so like when he starts asking questions, people are wondering if the world is turning on its axis. That's how silent this man is. He like never really takes part. And he, he, he says it's because these litigators get so little time in front of the court. He doesn't want to take up their time with his own line of questioning. But I see it as something a little different than that. That's the most half-assed reasoning I've ever heard. <laughs> but if you see how long they get in front of the Supreme Court, it is minuscule. And with the, the weight and the severity of some of the things that they have to bring forth, I understand it to a degree, but not to his extent. No way. Right. So, I mean, that was kind of wild. Um, Lincoln Project, once again, just owning Trump from the outset. And then there's this other one who is like, uh, what is it? Republicans for Joe Biden or something where uh, this one like southern dude is like yo I voted for Donald Trump my bad fam and uh, you see people <laughs> coming to Jesus having a come to Jesus moment on like a little online video like a Facebook live video that gets spread and then turns into a whole ad campaign so they just want other people out there to understand that it's okay to reconcile it is okay to have a change of heart once you've seen the evidence to the contrary. And this guy in it was like, you know what? If the DNC got rid of Joe Biden and put a soup can up for nomination, I'd vote for the soup can because I know he wouldn't be as bad for the country as Donald Trump. And that's basically what we've been saying forever. Yeah, it's and I, you know, the whole anyone anyone but Trump movement. Um, it's it's something that's actually picking up steam more and more. Even though it's it's a ludicrous thing because you're never supposed to vote against someone, supposed to vote for uh, someone. But in this case, um, I, I particularly with the Lincoln Project, you're seeing more and more that it, even as Republicans, they're they're at the point where they're like, I don't care, <laughs> just not this guy. Yeah, I voted for him before. I screwed up, and you know, it's okay. It's okay to say that. It's okay to be. Uh, regretful about your decision that you voted for him and to be a Republican and to not support him now, that's fine. And it's okay to say anyone but him at this point because I don't know who else could damage the country more in the last six months than Donald Trump has. Totally agree. I mean, if being divisive was a sport, he would be in the Hall of Fame. Yes. And that's uh, really... Uh, uh, John Kasich was on... Uh, one of the uh, uh, CNN segments and they interviewed him uh, talking about uh, basically the way that that's kind of Donald Trump's fallback. Anytime he's in a place where he's uncomfortable or he's not sure what he's supposed to do leadership wise. So basically all the time, um, his, his go-to move is to become divisive, uh, become incendiary, uh, become mercurial and to become defensive and, and that's what we heard, like, about how he ran his businesses, where he wanted as much infighting as possible so that everyone has to come to daddy for the answer. Oh, God. And no wonder he's had so many businesses go belly up. Every single one of them. It's, it's <laughs> absurd. Yeah, outside of having real estate working for him, this guy isn't exactly some kind of a fantastic entrepreneur. No, and the way he got to 
real estate heights was by over exaggerating the worth or under exaggerating the worth when it came to taxes of his properties or basically just putting his name on somebody else's nice building you name it any type of grift or self-aggrandizement that will get him to the top and get him a little more change he has done it he's a charlatan uh, all space. the way through yeah absolutely and he disassociates himself from reality and he's been doing it for decades it's not new this isn't a new thing where he can't deal with facts and reality and he doesn't understand that, you know, these things are happening and they're because of him. He's always, always lived in this little fantasy rainbow camp that he's invented inside of his own head. And so that to that point, this is where I understand when Joe Biden was saying that Donald Trump is a singular irregularity or an anomaly. A lot of people wanted to get on him about how, well, actually, he's just a symptom of American life on the right as we know it and how it's you know come to be which also is true but there is actually nobody who's been spinning this conceited tale of lies for this long this consistently so in that he is a singular force he is and outside of uh, his relatives and the people who are still on his payroll pretty much everyone close to this man in his entire life has come out and lambasted his entire existence and that includes his niece, Mary Trump, she even carries the Trump name. Mm-hmm. And she's dropping a book, and um, I've not read it, but I can promise you that I will. My wife's and, got it on pre-order. Yeah, there's. I'm 100% going to read it. And some people are really quick to say, well, it's probably a cash grab. Like, well, you can't just say that every time somebody has something negative to say about Trump, it's a cash grab. I mean, some of these people have legitimate gripes, and this is his own relative. She's got. She's a doctor, for Christ's sake. She doesn't need the notoriety. So what she's saying, basically, in this book is that it's not new that he's a grifter. It's not new that he's delusional. It's not None of this stuff is uh, something that's uh, fresh to him as an adult or uh, his presidency. It's something he's been his entire life. He's but always been a fraud. He's she always been is dangerous. a doctor of uh, behavioral psychology, I believe. So yes. this is someone who can just very succinctly tell you why he is the way he is and also be able to do it from a personal standpoint. So she knows how Trump's dad was completely hard on uh, the other two boys and how uh, you're, you're, you're either a winner or a loser in his mind. And so Trump would always beat up on his younger brother and say, look what I did, daddy, isn't that great? And um, just lie time after time to appease the dad at all turns and it's a really twisted tale of a childhood that leads up to the guy that we see today yeah um he's she she basically went out and said that he's his entire life he's embraced cheating as a way of life and right that kind of that kind of builds uh, a foundation for the the kind of guy you see today and even the, the kind of stuff that makes him a creep. We've all seen the stuff about Joe Biden smelling hair, but let's mm-hmm. not forget about the fact that Donald Trump, not just his weird stuff with Ivanka, not just his weird stuff inside of a, uh, a, a child's pageant dressing room, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. a, apparently the first time in Mar-a-Lago that he saw his niece, Mary, in a bathing suit, he said, holy shit, Mary, you're stacked. Right, right, exactly. Like It's disgusting. This man is very twisted, 
and um, sees everything as his possible property, whether it be family or strangers or someone else's money. Like, it's all his, and he's allowed to do with it whatever he wants to whatever creepy ends. Yeah, he can get away with what he wants. He can, he, he paid somebody to pay his uh, high school exams, allegedly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the And entire... you can grab him by the pussy, don't forget. Always. Every single time you can. I, I mean, once again, just want to give a big shout out to the Lincoln Project because they do such good work and they put some really great stuff together. So they do. Um, what was it this week? They had well, first of all, the the circular logic that is probably the most genius part of it because they're in the news because they target the audience of one and then he puts them in the news. So how do they make money to have more ads? Well, they specifically take out Fox News ads in the D.C. area where they know he's going to watch it. They put on their show for him, and then he promotes them by defending himself against these attacks. Right. So it's just a beautiful cycle that I am really having fun watching unfold. Free promotion. You know, tons of people (laughs) follow Trump and his Twitter account. Oh, wow. So all you got to do is make sure he sees it. He will be baited. Yeah. Um, But yeah, if you haven't, to those people, by the way, if you haven't checked out those uh, Lincoln Project ads, please do. Look them up on YouTube, wherever you can find them. Most of them are really short. All of them are really good. uh, Having said that, we should probably move on because we're getting a little late in the podcast. Let's go. Um, Let's move on to his... um, supposed or presupposed nominee, right? We haven't had a convention yet, but old Joe Biden is sitting there in the batter's box and he's ready to step up to the plate. Yes, the assumptive nominee for the Democrats. Um, He's uh, been mostly silent uh, for quite a while, which uh, probably hasn't bothered people that much because a lot of times Uncle Joe puts his foot in his mouth, and we've acknowledged that here on the show before. (laughs) Uh, but lately, he's been working with uh, some of his uh, some of his uh, advocates uh, within the Democratic Party. But most specifically, he's been working with Senator Bernie Sanders, who was his primary rival in the primaries. Um, they've come up with what I would what I would describe as a far. This isn't Bernie Sanders type plan, but this is a far more progressive plan than what you would have thought you were going to find from your classic moderate Democrat, Joe Biden. This is the hybrid plan. Yes, and it's really good. Um, it's it's something that if you're one of these uh, uh, disenchanted progressives out there who saw their, uh, their hopeful candidate get knocked out of the DNC two consecutive elections, and you're feeling like you're not being represented by this party, I totally understand all of that. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with all of what Sanders does, but I really do like what they've drawn up here. Um, They've come up with plans for uh, pretty much every one of the major topics that uh, has been on the the, the forefront of people's minds, especially from a liberal perspective. You've got your climate change stuff. You've got your criminal justice stuff, the economy, education, healthcare, and immigration. So the big six. Yeah, I mean, you're touching on all the hot point issues, but also the issues that need to be addressed most quickly and most er- uh, ardently. Um, and you have a lot of people on the left, on the progressive left, who are signing off on Joe Biden as somebody who has your best interests at heart, and he is going to work for you, and he is going to work 
with them and take their advice into consideration on a daily basis. So what you're seeing is a, a validation of Joe Biden day by day that is growing and it's already he's already got the center and he's already got the dissenters and the detractors from the Republican Party. Now you just have to bring everyone in from the far left and you've got a coalition that could make this a landslide if everybody goes to the polls. Yeah, it would be great to see uh, somebody. I, I would like to see the progressives, first of all, just get to this uh this plan and read it and they don't have to read all 110 pages um but you should know enough to know that he is trying to bring down the carbon emissions to to zero is that realistic i don't know but it's nice to have these quixotic goals in mind so that you're you're shooting for the fence and you're not just trying to hit singles yeah Um, heaven forbid you get back into the paris climate accord and try to do your best Right, and that's uh, on the forefront of the climate change uh, committee, who is actually uh, being chaired by uh, 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 Ascasio Cortez and John Kerry. So, right on, a little um, new, a little old. Yeah, you got a little new, little old, little youth. little salt, little pepper. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, criminal justice—they're obviously trying to overhaul uh, the, a lot of the uh, practices with police brutality, getting rid of the chokehold stuff like that. They're going to lighten up on. Uh, uh, the uh, criminalization of marijuana, trying to get it legalized, um, and they're probably going to do away with the zero tolerance immigration uh, that uh, Trump has put into effect, uh, immigration policy wise. So a lot of uh, you know changes, both with longtime problems and with problems we've seen over the past two months uh, in the wake of uh, the Floyd tragedy. Economically, looking for uh, again uh, a lot of the uh, return to Obama type uh, policies. They're trying to actually, this is where you see Bernie coming in, get the $15 an hour minimum wage. That's right. pretty cool. Um, they're looking for uh, tuition. 1% wealth tax. Oh, yeah. And the, the trying to get the, the taxation uh, working in less in favor of the rich, for crying out loud. What we've been trying to do for I don't even know how many years. If this were to get done, this alone would validate Biden's presidency for me. Oh, and not only that, but for generations to come. I mean, you're looking at a uh, 10% value-added tax like Europe does. Um, yeah, the, the really interesting solutions to the problem. So, like, as Trump is more of a repeal than a repeal and replace type of guy, as we mm-hmm. saw with healthcare, um, he doesn't care as much about what he puts back in as a replacement. He just wants to tear down Take whatever out. was done by his predecessor specifically. But um, yeah, this is somebody who's thinking about actual solutions across the board of progressivism that are going to benefit the majority of citizens in this country. That's not a bad thing. Everyone's going to be on board with it when they see the end results. Yeah. Yeah, trying to for, uh, get some tuition forgiveness. Um, you know, they're they're looking for uh, stuff that's not going to happen. Uh, free tuition for uh, families earning under one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year. That's not going to happen. But it's nice to shoot for these things. Healthcare. They're going to expand upon uh, Obamacare and make it make it a little more accessible rather than it is uh, imposed upon people. Um, and then yeah, the immigration policies. I mean, currently we've got uh, Trump trying to use ICE to actually kick out students from other countries if uh, mm-hmm. it goes to online college. Right. That's terrible. And Harvard and other colleges are resisting that. But these are problems that we need to address. We can't throw these people out of the country because of a pandemic. It's, it's not no even the fault right time. of their own. 
and they are badly needed not only by the universities but hopefully to retain them after they're done with their schooling to join the workforce and the American uh, basically intellectual machine like right these aren't people that are just here legally these are people we want here <laughs> exactly he doesn't care though brown skin bad that's his motto <laughs> so it, the bottom line it's it looks like a pretty good plan i recommend you check it out uh if you're interested in biden and all and you should be even if you're not voting for him i recommend checking that out all right so we're running long because we've just been having a really good time today we do uh, and there's a, there's so much <laughs> there's there always so much but i mean i think we're gonna skip over some of the stuff that we we're gonna talk about I think we're going to probably leave um, a lot of the PC stuff um, to the to the side. Um, let's get to some sports. Let's have some fun. Okay, let's get to some sports. I think we can. And when we say fun, can we talk about how we're probably not going to have football? <laughs> That's so fun, right? This no is going to be football. great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, honestly, like if there was no threat of piracy of all the previous um, content that all these monopolies hold there is no reason that espn disney abc whatever shouldn't just make every season in the past hundred years available and free for us to watch in the event that there are no current seasons to watch yeah any game any game you want let me just pretend it's 1976 and i don't know who's going to win the super bowl or yeah, I just want to see Larry Zonka running through that Dolphins line for touchdowns. Or yeah. I want to see uh, David Boston catching shit over top of a hurricane. Right. Whatever you want, you should have access to it because we have the tools to do so. And it would be a act of goodwill. Or if you just want to make it five ninety nine a month and not five ninety nine a minute, that would be really nice, and we would appreciate that <laughs> as a nation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, we saw college football. Go ahead and make the move to conference-only play. Um, yeah, so I, I did the math, okay? 1,300 miles from Nebraska to Rutgers, just within the Big Ten. That's what, the, And the Big Ten is spread. Well, you know what? They're all spread pretty wide. Where's they are, West, because they, West the, the realignment. <laughs> exactly. So uh, each conference is half a country wide at least now. So that makes absolutely no sense. Um, where are you actually making gains in terms of safety? Yeah, I don't I, see it. I, I don't see it happening either. And after we had a couple guys on uh, on the Ohio State team test positive, um, it just seems like you're going to see more and more of that. And I, I don't know how you put a bunch of guys together like that. And, and you, you, you say you're being safe. And they can't wear oh. masks. So They're asking them to wear masks on the professional level. I, how can you do that? I don't, I don't know. If you want everyone to pass out by halftime, that's what you that's what you implement. Right. What kind of a mask are we using? We need masks where I mean they have to be able to breathe for crying out loud. Heavily at each other. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of these guys are pretty big dudes who probably don't breathe super comfortably all the time anyway. And you're asking them to basically practice as little as possible before starting to bang heads. Right. Make sure you're really out of shape before you get in there. <laughs> And yeah, you guys have no cohesion whatsoever, <laughs> so that you know injuries are now at an all-time high as well. <laughs> Fantastic! It just sounds like a terrible idea, and it it pains me. And I don't even know what fall is without football, but it's just not realistic. Yeah, but we don't know what each season is without a million things, and we're finding it out one by one. <laughs> we are. So <laughs> you know? learn, learn as you go. Uh, opportunity for us. 
Like the local uh, Canfield Fair finally said that it's not going to happen just like last week. And it's a big thing. And they were just basically the holdouts. They were the SEC of county fairs around here because everyone else had already said not a good idea. Right. It's, yeah. And it is, with the NFL, you know, I don't even know how safe the players feel. You've got Donovan Smith, uh, the tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, basically saying it's too risky. He right. Doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. And I don't blame him. I mean, they and get paid so a lot of money, if, but... <laughs> yeah, but so if Tom Brady doesn't have his number one protector out there with him, how much is he looking to get out on the field? Oh, there's no way at 40,000 years old, whatever he is, so... Right, he could be made of avocados. He's still not going to come out of that <laughs> hole. <laughs> um, but so, even in a down year, and even with nothing going on, Mahomie got paid. Holy cow, did he get paid. Very, very impressive numbers. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's a big deal when you you come out, you got an MVP under your belt, and you're young, you got an MVP, and you got a Super Bowl. Uh, I don't care who else is on the rosters, he is the face of the league. He's the face of the league right now. Guy uh, at Kansas City gets a $477 million contract with, with another $26 million potentially in bonuses, totaling $503 million written down on a piece of paper. That is the richest contract in the history of all of North America. Yeah, it's like even bigger than Alex Pujols, and he's actually going to be worth it, which is the difference. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money, man. That's a half a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But this guy is going to generate those funds over that time as long as he stays healthy because he is real deal Holyfield talented. Yeah, he's unbelievable. It's crazy. You think a couple years ago when you're watching those uh, State Farm commercials that uh, it's not Aaron Rodgers who is the best quarterback in this commercial anymore. It is absolutely Mr. Mahomey. Yeah, because the way he flings that pill just basically from the hip or just any old way it's Aaron Rodgers on steroids without the steroids. Yeah, he's he's really got a lot of the same skill set. He's got a I don't, Rodgers actually might be a little more mobile, but um, Mahomes he can move enough to get it done. And the guy's got a real knack just for seeing guys who are open. He's incredible. And he's got a laser attached to his shoulder. Yeah, the, his cannon is uh, just it's it's ridiculous. So good for him, man. Good for him and his half a billion. Totally, totally. And speaking of people who make way too much money, you're seeing all the tales come out from the NBA bubble once they had to report to camp, I think it was on Tuesday. Crazy stuff going on down in Walt Disney World. So the first couple of days you were seeing the horrible like airplane food that they were serving to these multimillionaires. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a chuckle, but I'm like, wait a second, these are supposed to be well-oiled machines and they're giving them like shit-ass salads and clamshells. They're giving them the stuff that they give us. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I would be highly offended. And uh, LeBron said that, you know, he's got his family with him in the bubble, but that even just leaving his hotel room and having to go to practice felt like he was, quote, going to do a bid. So <laughs> if you feel like you're going to jail just by going to the practice facilities, I don't see this as being a really fun season. No, nobody's enjoying this. I mean, and I'm not even talking about the COVID in general. Obviously, nobody's enjoying this. But sports-wise, these guys, there's no way that this... And I know, people are always going to bring up how much money they make. But come on, this is not... This isn't a lifestyle that I would want to live. And I'm not 
I'm not (laughs) an athlete. I I don't, I don't come from a mansion with uh, all these, this would be a big step down for me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, unfortunately it's a contact sport. And if it was a less, so if it was baseball, then I would say, yes, just suck it up. And just for a month or two, if they would have only, like we said, gone to 16 teams and not try to get Zion in and had 22, you would have made this a lot shorter in and out. Everybody's out far fewer people to interact with. And, uh, you know, they just weren't able to do it. So I can't ask them to sacrifice themselves for that amount of time. No, I would never ask them to do that either. It, it, it seems like both football and basketball, these people are being put through experiences that they don't want to be put through and they're not comfortable. And I don't blame them no matter how much money they're making, no matter how many half a billion dollars is they're getting paid, that they don't want to be involved in this right now. Yeah, and luckily we do have other things to entertain us. Um, Now, I I do want to just mention quickly in passing uh, the phenomenon that is Bryson DeChambeau on the PGA Tour of Golfing People. Um, I don't know if you know about this guy. I do not. All right, so this guy, within the last year, now he's always been known as like a mad scientist who is an analytics type dude and lives his life to that effect and and lives his golf game the same way. He put on at least 50 or 60 pounds of almost damn near all muscle. Damn. Just recently, he looks like a giant man and he is owning all the courses that he plays. He's hitting an average of 340 some yards off the tee holy shit correct (laughs) correct he makes tiger woods look like olive oil that is ridiculous yeah so he's basically got a driver and a wedge in his hand every hole and he's just taking this brand new approach to the game that um is really groundbreaking and not everyone's going to subscribe to it because they probably physically can't but I think a lot of people will try just seeing the success that he's been having with it. Wow. Driver and a – yeah, par four, he's probably just got a driver and a putter. Correct. He's taking aim at a lot of par fours. It is insanity out there. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. I'll have to check so, it out. Pretty cool, you know, considering what offerings we do have in the sporting worlds, you know. Might as well check again? it out if you're real uh, – Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau. A nice golfing name of high pedigree, it sounds like, right? It's just a good name in general. <laughs> <laughs> Rochambeau. Yeah. Um, oh. But yeah, so a couple more things before we get out of here. Uh, I bought the Disney Plus. Okay, and we've had the, it for a while. Yeah, okay, I, the reason I got it was because of Hamilton. Like, I went and saw it uh, in theater, and obviously it was just as groundbreaking and breathtaking as, as everyone made it out to be. Mm-hmm. But this is a really great production. Um, they did like some empty theater. Rec- this was all the way back in 16 when they were doing their initial famed run of it. Yeah, so I it's watched got it. The, okay, so it's got the original cast, but they did some empty theater close-up recordings to fill everything in and make it feel more cinematic. I thought it was it really well done. It was super well done. I, I was surprised. I was uh, thinking we were just going to basically get a one-camera setup, and we were going to watch it from the and, – and I was I was happy to see um, – what's the, the name of the guy that uh, created the whole thing? Who plays Lin-Manuel Hamilton? Miranda? Yes. Uh, man, uh, yes. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, I was happy to see that it was him and the rest of the original cast because they are phenomenal. Uh, the, the woman who plays Eliza, his wife, is – she has one of the most remarkable voices. Like her. Now power, I like her older sister better, 
Yeah, just in terms of her tone. She's more of an alto, uh, and I, I like her too. And I thought she had a lot of talent too, but I, the, the ability that the uh, character of Eliza had, the way she was able to uh, change her volume, the fortissimo, like back and forth so effortlessly, like she didn't even have to breathe. It was yeah. unbelievable. She is really, really talented. Yeah, a lot of range there. Um, and I saw it without the original cast because it was the touring production, but a lot right. of the singers were better than the original cast. Really? Um, yeah, so in the original cast, I really love the guy who does Aaron Burr. Fantastic. But, like, the main character, Hamilton, was a little better and just a little... I didn't. I don't like Manuel's, like, squeaky voice. Maybe that's it. No, but, he's not. He's by far and away the least... But it's like, all right, talented. it's your thing, man. You do whatever you want. You get to play the lead. You Correct. You wrote it. He's a, of course, <laughs> he's going to play Alexander Hamilton in his play. Um, but yeah, and he deserves is, it. He's vocally know. not great. It's true. No, and he tries his best, and he's he's just an okay actor, but the, the content is why you come, and it's a telling that isn't quite as extensive as the biography of Hamilton, obviously. Uh, but in terms of infotainment, it is as good as anything that I've ever seen. It is. It had, uh, Grace and I sat down and watched it. It had her basically, as soon as it got over, looking on her uh, phone, checking up on the biography of Hamilton and the founding fathers, reading up on all this stuff. Because I was making a lot of historical comments within the context of the show. Yeah. She was like, oh, I didn't know that. I was like, yeah, uh-huh. this and that. And she's like, oh. I was like, oh, yeah, Jefferson and Madison were, were thick as thieves back then. They were, they were great buddies. All those guys from Virginia were. And so... Later, she spends a half hour just researching the Founding Fathers because it was so damn interesting. And, yeah, just re-watching it from this perspective had me put, like, uh, the John Adams miniseries at the top of my watch list. That's, like, That's what I'm going to so be diving into funny. next. I said that to her at the end of it. I said, I want to check out that Paul Giamatti, John Adams series. It's strong. I watched one episode back in the day when it originally aired and, you know, for whatever reason, didn't follow up on it. But now I'm just like in this historical vein right now and I can't wait to dig back in. Yeah, I can't either because there is no John Adams, obviously, in this uh, particular production. They don't talk about him much. You got your Washington. You got your Jefferson. They don't talk about him well. That's for sure. No. Well, he's uh, from an opposing political party. So and not only that, he did much less as a president than he did as a founding father. So, you know, after yeah, he was a one term president, he I mean, you know, so was his son or his grandson or whatever. John Quincy Adams. Yes, he was also a one term president. Both one termers. Bad family rep. <laughs> <laughs> but between them, they got two terms. So, you know, you got two Adamses. There you go. Just take away the middle name and somebody <laughs> had it for eight years. Right. Just pretend you're Grover Cleveland. Like, oh, that was also me. <laughs> Speaking of the HBOs, the Perry Masons, bro. The Perry Masons. It is the real deal. Holy crap. Um, So it's this actor dude that you know. It's like uh, the fiance of Carrie Russell. You'll know him to see him. But it's got a a really stellar cast. It's got Steven Root. It's got uh, Lithgow. uh, A lot of really talented actors. And this is a like seedy boiler plate kind of crime drama from um you know the 20s in california where um there was just rampant corruption and these like really horrific murders and stuff that go on and you got this guy 
who it's basically the origin story of the Perry Mason that everybody knows from mm-hmm. the, the 50s TV show or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, just really just totally captivating, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. Interesting. It's actually a little gory, and but it's only in service of the story. So you come out of it, you're like, damn, I wish I didn't have to see that, but I did have to see that. I never watched a lot of Perry Mason. I watched Matlock. <laughs> very much inspired by Perry Mason, but um, I was always Matt interested. Always I'm more of a Peter Columbo, uh, a Peter Fall Columbo guy. Okay, just because his, his his ticks were that much funnier and and long lasting. But Columbo yeah, was watched, good. Yeah, <laughs> I watched the Perry Masons with uh, my grandmother way back in the day, but they're hardly even in the memory bank anymore. So I might have to go back and rewatch a little Revisit bit of that. Him. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, the best Please thing do. I've watched recently was definitely Hamilton. I was. Uh, even though it was three hours and it's different watching a stage production uh, with a faux intermission in the middle of it uh, than it is going to see the actual play. But, you know, we don't have much of a choice right now. I watched it over the course of two nights because I just wasn't up for it all. And luckily that intermission was right where it needed to be. Yeah, it's long, but it's good. So <laughs> Totally. All right, man. I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Um, I just always want to emphasize... Wear your masks right now, people, please. I know it, there's a lot of uh, contradiction between what scientists have said and what they haven't. The bottom line is it can't hurt. I see some of these anti-maskers maskers out there uh, posting selfies wearing these like faux like net masks. Like, yeah, who, hilarious. Yeah, You're that's so funny. funny. Who are you making fun of? Like, I don't understand this. There are plenty of people out there to find wearing masks and they're dying. Why not just put them on, protect yourself, protect others, protect me, protect Ron's daughter. Why don't you do that just while you're inside a store for 20 minutes? It's not that big of a deal. I plead with you. I beg you. Please do it. Thank you. Correct. And so if you want to keep the liberties of being able to go to a store, then give up the small liberty and cover your ugly face for five minutes at a time. Not everybody's springing up with asthma all of a sudden, so you don't have a reason not to. I don't want to hear it. And I'm going to look at you with scorn and disdain when I see you not have it and you get too close to me at the store because you don't care about either thing. Yes. And please understand, stores do have a right as a private business to not let you in. That's You, you don't have the right to tell them I'm being deprived of my rights because they're not letting you in. That's not how the law works, no matter how many memes your uncle shared. <laughs> right on, man. All right, so thanks to everybody for their continued support, positive feedback of the show. We appreciate it all. And also, I wanted to let everybody know, congratulations to my wife, Brittany, because, uh, well, first of all, I want to thank her for taking the little monster out of the house so I can tape this thing every week with you. Um, but I also wanted to let everyone know that she has her own podcast now. Um, it is called Bossy Besties. She does it with her uh, really good lifelong friend, Melinda, and they cover some cool topics, a lot of uh, current events, but also just momming and making it through everyday life. It's, it's very cool. So give it a look wherever you find the podcast. Yeah, I think that's all I got. So uh, I hope to see everyone here back uh, back next week and take care. All right, guys, we'll see you.